Church family, I invite you to open up in God's Word to Genesis chapter 26. Our text for today is Genesis 26, verse 34, through Genesis 28, verse 9. Genesis 26, 34, through 28, verse 9. The title of our message is, Bless This Mess. Bless This Mess. And I think you'll see why I've titled this message the way I have as we read this passage of Scripture. You follow along. This is the Word of God. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Bazemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So we went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. 
His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I've given to him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which he, his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother had gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. You ever found yourself saying, Lord, bless this mess? You ever found yourself saying that? I think I've heard my mom say that before, as we have sat down to a conglomeration of leftovers for a meal. You know what I'm talking about? Those meals where you just pull every Tupperware that you have stuck in the refrigerator out, you open them all up and you lay them all out across the counter, and there's a little bit of everything in there. And, and as we've done that for a meal, I've heard my mom say, Lord, bless this mess. 
right? Bless this mess. One day recently, my family was sitting down to a meal in the midst of the commotion of four little ones trying to get to the table. One of them yelled out, we need to say the blessing. And so I just immediately just bowed my head and I said, Lord, bless this mess. But I wasn't talking about the food that day. As I bowed my head, I was scanning my eyes, looking at my kids, saying, Lord, bless this mess. Now, I said it playfully, and I was simply responding to the silliness and craziness of my kids. But have you ever voiced that simple prayer in a more serious context? Not in response to a, a meal of leftovers or in response to a bunch of silly children, but maybe in a situation where sinful choices have created a mess. And in desperation, you say, Lord... If there's any way, bless this mess. Maybe your life looks like a bit of a mess right now. Maybe you came in today thinking, is there any hope? Is there any way to experience the blessing, the joy of salvation in the midst of this mess? Friend, I believe that God's word tells us that God is able to bless a mess, even a mess that is created by sin. Now, it's not because he doesn't care about sin. It's not because sin is no big deal. It's because he is greater than sin and he shows grace. That's undeserved kindness toward sinners. Our passage today is a plate full of the mess of sin. And it's bookended by Esau's messy marriage choices on either side of this passage. And then in the middle is the mess of spiritual blindness and deceitful scheming. It is a mess. But even though God never speaks in this passage, we don't see God speak at all in this passage. Nevertheless, he is there and his sovereignty and his grace are on full display. I think we could summarize Genesis twenty six thirty four through 28, 9 this way. The preservation of God's blessing through the mess created by sin magnifies the sovereign grace of God. I think that's a way that we can kind of put. All of those verses that we just read into a sentence. The preservation of God's blessing through the mess created by sin magnifies the sovereign grace of God. You'll see three parts there in that statement. First, the preservation of God's blessing. This is referring to God keeping alive, keeping safe, protecting the blessing. But what does it need to be protected from? What is this blessing passing through that it needs to be kept safe? It needs preserving. That's the second part of the statement. It's the mess that is created by sin. Now, if there's a tornado coming, what do you do? You, you run to the, to the safe place. Safest place in your house. That's normally an interior room. If you have a basement, you go down to the basement. Why? Because you are hoping that those sturdy walls will preserve you through the midst of that storm. Church, our sin creates a mess in our lives, and that mess of sin ought to rip God's blessing right away from us. It should bring about complete and utter destruction in our lives. That's what our sin and the mess it creates should should uh, should bring to us. But here's the good news. Those who belong to God through faith in Jesus, for them, God's blessing is preserved even through the mess that their sin has created. The question then is, how can this be? How can the holy God preserve his blessing in the midst of a sinful mess? And that's the third part of this statement, his sovereign grace. In other words, his power over sin 
and ability to keep his word, that's his sovereignty, and his love and mercy and compassion, undeserved compassion towards sinners, that's his grace. The only explanation for God preserving his blessing through the mess that our sin creates is his sovereign grace, which means when we see God preserving his blessing through the mess created by sin, what gets highlighted, what gets a spotlight shown on it, what gets magnified, What rises to the surface for us to rejoice in is the sovereign grace of God. Not our ability to get ourselves out of the mess of our sin, but God's ability and his kindness to do that for us. And we see all of this taking place in this passage of Scripture from the book of Genesis. Remember, we're tracing the fulfillment of God's promise that he made in the Garden of Eden to send a man born of woman to destroy the serpent and bring deliverance for his people. And then God made some very specific promises to a man named Abraham, which revealed that that promised deliverer is going to come through the line of Abraham. And then those, those promises got passed down to Abraham's son, Isaac. Then Isaac is married. He has a wife named Rebekah. They have twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And even as as they were born, we were told that the younger would serve the older. And it was God who said that, that the younger would serve the older. Now, we saw that Esau has already sold his birthright to Jacob. That happened in the end of chapter 25. But in chapter 27, the focus is on the blessing. The birthright was, if you're wondering, like, what's the difference between the birthright and the blessing? The birthright was focused more on the physical inheritance that was going to be given over to that inheritor to that son the blessing is focused so it's more focused on the here and now the blessing is more focused on the future what's going to become of this son will will he prosper in life will he succeed will he will he dwell in security in the case of isaac's sons would he be the one to carry on the promise of god that promises of that promise of a deliverer so the stakes are high here when we're considering the blessing in this passage there's a lot of text here obviously we're not going to Look at every single word here, even every sentence or perhaps even every single paragraph in detail. But the storyline is simple. The family is making a mess of their sin, but God keeps his word a blessing to his chosen one through it all. I want to share with you four truths which I believe arise from this passage and help us see this point that's being made. Now, the first three that I want to share with you are warnings. We're going to, we're going to dive into the mess of this sin for, for, for just a few minutes, and, and we want to see some warnings for us in our own lives as we seek to follow the Lord and not find ourselves in a, in a mess of sin. But then the fourth one is, is not a warning, but it's going to be a call to rejoice, to rejoice in what this passage ultimately magnifies, and that's the sovereign grace of God. So here's the truth number one. It's this, church. Beware. Where I said there are going to be three warnings. So the first one is this. Beware of pursuing fleshly desires through sacrificing spiritual vision. Beware of pursuing fleshly desires and in the process, sacrificing spiritual vision. I want to start with Isaac here. Of all the family members, it's probably, maybe this is just the case for me as I've read this in the past, and, but it's probably easiest to, to skip over Isaac as contributing anything to this. I mean, here's the blind old man, right? He kind of he seems like, well, what did he do wrong in this passage? Well, it's easy to miss, but I think he's at fault some. One of the reasons it's easy to miss Isaac's contribution to this mess, uh, family mess, to this mess of sin is because some of his contribution is what he doesn't do. It's not what he does, it's what he doesn't do. One thing that seems to be missing from the life of Isaac, as you study the life of Isaac, is leadership. 
he's a pretty passive individual, not just in this passage, but in other passages. Sometimes that can be a good thing. He's kind of a peacemaker um, in chapter 26. But uh, but but at least in this passage, that's not a good thing. When his son Esau is marrying terrible women, Isaac appears quiet. When he and his wife are playing favorites with their sons, his only action is to jump in and pick his favorite. When Jacob needs a wife at the end of this passage, it's Rebecca who's the one saying, hey, Isaac, uh, your son needs a wife. You've already failed to get the, the, the first son, the older son, a wife. Jacob needs one. It's his wife's bring him the action. So there just doesn't seem to be much spiritual leadership coming from Isaac as his family just spirals into this mess. But his contribution to this mess is not just inactivity. It, it is what he does here. And what he does should serve as a warning church for us to beware of pursuing fleshly desires through sacrificing spiritual vision. What does he do here? Well, he calls Esau and he tells him, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat. And my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Isaac appears to be getting old. Later in the passage, we learn that he's pretty much blind at this point. That's how the little scheme worked. Isaac can't see. And they took advantage of that. And it was his custom. It was custom in those days to pass on a blessing to your son, sons before they uh, before you die. But there are a few problems here. First, it says he doesn't know when he's going to die, which that could simply be a statement of humility. Nobody knows exactly the day of their death. But the fact that Isaac lived many more years after this reveals that he might be jumping the gun here. There might be some kind of craving inside of him that's making him have a uh, give a premature blessing. Something else might be driving him here than simply passing on this blessing. Second problem is he doesn't call both sons. Notice that he only calls Esau. The custom was to call all of your sons to the blessing. It doesn't mean that they all received the same blessing, but you still called all of them to your bedside. For instance, in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob gathers all of his sons to bless them. Now, he doesn't give them all the same blessing, but he still includes them all. So Isaac here oddly leaves Jacob completely out of this. And then third problem, and most importantly, God had already said that Esau would serve Jacob, that the that the younger would rule over the older, the older would serve the younger. God had said that he said that when they were born. So when we get to the blessing in verses 27 through 29 and we hear Isaac saying, to Jacob, but remember he thinks it's Esau, be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Realize he's saying this to Jacob, thinking he's speaking to Esau. We begin to understand Isaac's fault in all of this. He seems, he appears to be completely contradicting the prophecy of God. Now, in God's sovereignty, God is fulfilling the prophecy of God because it's actually Jacob standing before him. But in Isaac's mind, he thinks it's Esau. He thinks he is telling Esau you're going to rule over your brother when God had said when they were born, the younger will rule over the older. Now, why would Isaac do this? Why would perhaps he prematurely try to bless Esau while completely ignoring Jacob? What what's happening here? Why would he do that? Well, I think the text is pointing us to this truth. Isaac has sacrificed spiritual vision on the altar of fleshly desires. In other words, the desires of his flesh are driving his actions instead of the word and will of God. What is that fleshly desire? Food. That's the that that's what's driving his actions here. It's food. The word game, not a board game or a sports game. The word game meaning hunted meat 
appears eight times in this passage. And the phrase delicious food appears six times and multiple times. We are told that that's what Isaac loves. Not only that, we were told back in chapter 25, verse 28, that the reason Isaac picked Esau as his favor is because Esau was a good hunter. And Isaac liked to eat the food that he brought home from the field. Isaac's words, chapter 27, verse 4, he says, prepare for me delicious food such as I love. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with cooking and eating delicious food, making your food taste good. There's nothing wrong with that. But just like with every one of God's good gifts, the gifts must never take the place of the giver in our lives. I believe Isaac's physical blindness here in this passage is actually possibly even serving as a metaphor for his spiritual blindness in this instance. His spiritual vision, his, his, his understanding of God and God's will and God's ways is being clouded out by his love for a physical pleasure. His desire for food has consumed consumed him and is driving his actions. And at least in this case, food has become his God. So let me ask you a question. What is it for you? What is it for you? Maybe it's the same as Isaac. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's the craving for food leading you into the sin of gluttony. Maybe it's the craving for sexual pleasure leading you into the, the sin of lust and pornography or premarital sexual relationships or adultery or even selfish demands from your spouse. Maybe it's a craving for money leading you into theft, cutting corners or working extra hours just to make more and the same time sacrificing your family. Maybe it's the craving to be right, leading you into lying about your thoughts to make yourself look better. Maybe it's a craving to be popular, leading you to smoke what the popular kids are smoking or listen to what the popular kids are listening to or drink what the popular kids are drinking. That craving for popularity. Maybe it's a craving to make a good grade, pass a test or an exam, whether that's in school or at work. But that craving leads you to cheat. Church, not all fleshly desires are inherently evil. In fact, many of them are God-given. They're God-given desires. But they all make terrible gods in our lives. None of them should rule our lives. God's word should and must rule our lives. And notice what this led to for Isaac when he allowed his fleshly desires, his fleshly cravings to cloud out the the will of God in his life. It didn't lead to joy. It led to, for a very short time, a belly of good food, though confusion in his mind because he's he's kind of confused about what just happened. Because, I mean, he's still I'm not really sure who this is. Immediately followed by, in the words of this passage, chapter 27, verse 33, very violent trembling. That's what it led to in his life. Not joy. The pleasure that meal provided was short-lived, to say the least. The same is true when we give in to the pleasures of uh, our physical cravings in such a way that it pushes out the will of God in our lives. Anytime, church, we pursue fleshly desires through sacrificing spiritual vision, we can expect a mess of sin. And so beware. Beware. Truth number two. Another warning. Beware of pursuing godly goals through ungodly methods. Beware of pursuing ungodly goals, excuse me, godly goals through ungodly methods. We looked a little bit at Isaac. Let's look a little bit at a couple other folks in this passage that were teamed up. Rebecca and Jacob. Two peas in a pod here. 
Now, Rebecca overheard Isaac tell Esau to hunt some game, cook it, bring it to him, receive the blessing. So she concocts this plan. Jacob's going to bring her a couple of goats. She's going to cook them up. She knows how Isaac, her husband, likes his food. She can cook it up just like that. And uh, Jacob's going to go in and uh, he's going he's to pretend to be Esau, going to put Esau's clothes on so that he smells like Esau. And um, he's going to trick his father and steal the blessing all while Esau is out hunting. Why? Why are they going to do this? What's motivating them? Well, chapter 25 has already informed us that Rebecca's favorite son is Jacob. We're not told, we're not told explicitly why she picked Jacob as her favorite, uh, but we can make some inferences. Jacob did like to hang around the tents, we're told, instead of going out hunting. And so maybe he was a bit of a, a, ma- a mama's boy. There, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Maybe they kind of had some similar personalities and they just happened to spend more time together. So that could be one reason she picked him. But we do know what God specifically told to her about her sons. And that was that Jacob was the chosen son. He would rule over his brother Esau. She knew that God had said this. She also knew that Esau was in the habit of making bad choices. He had despised his birthright. He had married these Hittite women that made life bitter for them. And so I kind of like to give her the benefit of the doubt here, at least from her motivation for doing this and think that she was motivated to ensure Jacob received the blessing, at least somewhat out of her understanding that God had chosen him. Hey, doesn't make sense for my husband to be blessing Esau. God said that Jacob was the one that was supposed to rule over his brother. He's the chosen one. And so I, I think her goal was godly. There's nothing wrong with wanting Jacob to be blessed, especially in light of God's prophecy. In fact, we might can make a comparison here and say that while Isaac completely ignored God's prophecy, perhaps Rebecca was remembering God's prophecy and trying to see it to its fulfillment. But the problem was the way she attempted to attain that what I think perhaps could have been a godly goal. Her goal may have been godly, but she pursued the godly goal through ungodly methods. She tricked her husband. She devised a plan to deceive her blind husband. And that was wrong. And the same could be said for Jacob. Two peas in a pod, right? There was nothing wrong with him wanting the blessing, but there was a lot wrong with the way he tried to get it. He went right along with his uh, mother's ungodly plan. The only pushback he gave was out of fear of getting caught. He, he didn't say, no, that, that would be wrong towards, our, to, towards my father. He said, what, what if he still, what, what, what if he comes up and, t- what if I go up and I, he touches me and I'm going to get caught? And then you know what? I mean, he's going to curse me. I'm not going to get a blessing. I'm going to get cursed. He's just scared of getting caught. So well, she's got a plan for that, too. Right. Take some of the goat skin, put it on. By the way, Esau must have been a very hairy man. But um, for, for that to be what needed to happen. So they knew it was Esau. But um, we've already been told that he was a hairy man. That became his nickname. Um, so all, he, all he's concerned about is getting caught. Other than that, he's right along with the plan. And then when he gets in front of his, uh, his father, he lies, he lies, he lies. Three verses in this passage, he just straight lies to his father's face. And what we see is a mess of sin. And for Rebecca and Jacob, it's the sin of pursuing godly goals through ungodly methods. So there's a whole lot we could say here. I have to be brief and move on to the next, next point. But can I just give two quick points of application? Parents. It's wanting our kids to learn to obey, which is a godly goal, but pursuing that godly goal through yelling at them instead of providing loving discipline and instruction that reflects the love of a heavenly father. Husbands, wives, it's wanting to have a harmonious relationship. It's a godly goal. But pursuing harmony 
through manipulating your spouse into overlooking your hurtful words or actions by doing nice things to make up for the wrong things that you've said or done instead of actually confessing your sin out of a heart of genuine brokenness and humbly asking for forgiveness. Godly goals, but so often we're tempted to pursue those through ungodly methods. And it leads to a mess of sin. Truth number three, another warning for us here today. And that's this, beware of pursuing divine blessing through human efforts of appeasement. Beware of pursuing godly, uh, of, uh, pursuing divine blessing through human efforts of appeasement. We've talked about Isaac, talked about Rebecca, talked about Jacob. Who's left? Esau. We've got to look at Esau for just a moment. Esau seems to be a guy who makes one bad choice after another. I mean, he's just, he just, he just can't get it right. And even when he tries to do something good, he still chooses poorly. We saw back at the end of chapter 25 that the apple didn't fall from the tree when it came to Esau. He despised his birthright by selling it to Jacob. And what did he sell it for? Food. Perhaps he learned that from his father, Isaac. It seems he was a food lover like his father, and this love led both of them astray. But that wasn't Esau's only fault, selling his birthright. His marriage, marriage choices weren't great either. Like I said earlier, uh, Esau's marriage cho- choices bookend this passage of Scripture. In, in verse 34 and 35 of 26, we learn that Esau married two Hittite women, and these were women of the land of Canaan. Remember, chapter 24 was all about Abraham ensuring that Isaac did not marry someone from the land of Canaan. Remember that sent the servant to go find someone from Abraham's family to for Isaac to marry. This was important because God had said that he was giving the land to Abraham, which means he was taking it from the Canaanites. And so to marry someone from the land of Canaan was to reject God's promised blessing. That's exactly what Esau did. He didn't just marry one. Goodness, he married two. He just he just dived right in to these wrong choices. The text tells us they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. They were not great women. And then when we end the passage, we see Esau making a very similar bad choice. So Isaac and Esau discover what Rebekah and Jacob did. Esau now is angry. He wants to kill his brother. Rebekah devises this plan for Jacob to escape by telling Isaac he needs to go to find a wife. Jacob needs to go. Esau hears about this and he thinks, oh, wait a second. Maybe I can maybe I can. Finally, please my parents and, and, and maybe I just can't help but think in the back of his mind, there's still this longing for that blessing. Maybe I can do something to make up for the, the wrong choices I've made. And so sounds like sounds like I don't I, I don't think Esau was very bright, but sounds like they would like for me to marry uh, somebody in our family. So let me go get another wife and I'll make sure she's a part of the family. Oh, here's Ishmael. I'll go. I'll go marry his daughter. Well, if you know the context, you know that wrong choice, wrong choice, because Ishmael was the rejected line. And so in trying to make up for the wrong that he he has done, he just he just separates himself even further from the promised blessing. Ishmael is the rejected line, so he then marries into the wrong branch of the family tree. Friends, the way to pursue divine blessing is never through human efforts of appeasement. 
It's never through trying to make up for the wrongs that we've done by trying in our own effort to do the right things. We can never escape the mess of sin by trying to appease, to make up for, to make amends for the wrath of God. But the good news, church, is that God's wrath towards sin, the sin of his people, has been appeased. Not by you or by me, but by his son as he hung on a cross and bled in our place. He was appeasing the wrath of God on our behalf because we can't do it through our own human effort. Which is why it's so important that you, come, that you become a part of the people of God by believing in Jesus for salvation. Repentance and faith in God's gracious plan of salvation, which centers upon Jesus the only way to escape the consequences of our sin and find ourselves in the blessing of God. And so beware pursuing divine blessing through human efforts of appeasement. Now, what a story, right? I mean, what a mess this family has found themselves into. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, a picture of the mess of sin. But church, this passage does not leave us in a state of hopelessness. It doesn't make us walk out going, oh, man, I just got to try harder, you know, so I don't, I don't sin. I don't find myself in the mess of sin. No, no. Even though God doesn't speak in this passage, God is at work in this passage, preserving his blessing, even through the tangled web of passivity and idolatry and deceit and recklessness. You see, Esau's plot to kill his brother prompts Rebekah, as we said, to create this plan to rescue Jacob. She tells him, flee to Paddan Aram, go to my family. There you can uh, you can get away from from uh, Esau until his anger dies down. And so he doesn't kill you. But now she says, well, really, the best way to send him is for his father to send him. But it might be that Isaac doesn't know the plan for Esau to kill Jacob. She doesn't want to tell him. So in her scheming and craftiness, she says, well, how do I get Isaac to send Jacob away? Oh, yeah, that's right. He, he needs a wife. And it's Isaac's responsibility, by the way, to find him a wife. So let me go spur Isaac into action and say, tell Jacob, go to Paddan Aram to find a wife. Really, what, what Rebecca is really wanting to, wanting to do also is protect him from Esau. So all of these, all these twisted things going on. But here's what happens. At the end of the day, God's will is exactly what takes place. God's promises are exactly what get fulfilled. God's prophecy is exactly what we see happen. She uses Jacob's singleness and Esau's poor choice and wives to convince Isaac to send Jacob away to get a wife from their people. Isaac does that. He calls Jacob to himself. He says, go get a wife from our people, which in and of itself is the evidence that God is preserving the promised blessing because he needs to marry within the family. But then notice Isaac's words to Jacob in chapter 28, verses 3 and 4. Church, they are like a light in the midst of the darkness of this passage. They're like safety in the midst of the storminess of this passage, like order in the midst of a family mess. Isaac tells Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Brothers and sisters, I hope that by now in our study of Genesis, when you hear those words, I pray that they There's good news ringing in your ears. Those are words of gospel truth. Those are words of good news truth. Those are words of salvation. They're words of promise and blessing pointing us towards the promised deliverer who is Jesus. Those words in this passage mean that God was preserving his blessing even through the midst of the mess that was created by sin. And we ask why? Did Jacob deserve to have the blessing preserved? him 
No. No, he didn't. If anything, we might be tempted between the brothers to see Esau as the victim here. It's a little tempting to feel bad for Esau, right? Sobbing in Isaac's tent after his brother stole the blessing out from under him. But remember, the structure of this passage leads us not to pity Esau. He's not a good man. He has made plenty of bad choices. And now he's fixing to kill his brother. Esau's definitely not revealing a heart that belongs to God. But Jacob, well, he doesn't seem worthy either. And he's not. And church, perhaps that's the point of this all. The preservation of God's blessing is not dependent upon the holiness of his chosen people, but on his sovereign grace, which he shows towards his chosen people. Through all the mess of this passage, God's plan, God's uh, word is never thwarted. God's plan to send a deliverer is still right on track. Jacob remains God's chosen vessel, which he had said would happen. The only explanation, church, for this is the sovereign grace of our God. That's his ability to control the outcome of human sinful choices to serve his grand plan of showing undeserved love to his chosen people. Church, we can learn from the mess of sin in this passage to beware, to be on guard. This passage isn't just a passage of warning, church. It is a passage of rejoicing. Here's the fourth and final point. And I pretty much already explained it. Rejoice, church. Rejoice in God's sovereign grace, which keeps his blessing of salvation alive. Rejoice in that. It'll be a means of celebration for you, even in the midst of sin. Rejoice in God's sovereign grace which keeps his blessing of salvation alive. Brothers and sisters, our only hope is that God uses his sovereignty, his supreme power to work through the mess of sin in our lives to show us amazing grace. Jacob, along with his family, was messed up with sin. He was a deceiver, but God had chosen him and God showed him grace. Friends, we are messed up people. We are born into this world as followers of Satan and objects of the wrath that God uh, that, that God pours out towards sin, of which Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We are followers of Satan, objects of his wrath. But Paul goes on and he says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Paul writes, you have been saved. Church, we live in a world that is messed up with sin. But God is sovereign and he's going to preserve his blessing for his chosen people, those who've repented of sin and believed in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. So we ought to rejoice. There's a lot of bad things that go on, go, go on in our world. But church, we ought to be the most joyful people on the planet as we rejoice in God's sovereign grace in the midst of the mess of sin, our lives and the lives of those around us. We don't deserve for God to have preserved his blessing to Jacob. We don't deserve for God to have sent his son. We don't deserve for Jesus to have died in our place for our sin, to have resurrected for, uh, from death so that we sinners could have everlasting life. We don't deserve for God to preserve our salvation as we fail him daily. But that's the sovereign grace of God. Jesus taking on the mess of our sin, sacrificing himself for our sinful pursuit of fleshly desires. For our sinful uh, pursuit of godly goals, but using ungodly methods. For our sinful pursuit uh, of, of just like Esau trying to make up for the wrong that we've done when God's saying you can't ever make up for the wrongs that you've done. My son has done that for you. 
So we rejoice in the sovereign grace of God today. If you haven't received God's grace by believing in Jesus, then you need to receive his grace by believing in Jesus. Don't be like Esau, who tried to turn around too late. The blessing was gone at that point. The writer of Hebrews warned against being like Esau, who, quote, when he desired the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Friend, trust in God's sovereign grace today. And church, rejoice in God's sovereign grace today, which saves us from the mess of our sins. Certainly, the preservation of God's blessing through the mess created by sin magnifies, not us, but magnifies the sovereign grace of our great and mighty and awesome God. And so, church, may we magnify God's sovereign grace in our lives as we Take these warnings seriously and seek to live in holiness, not going back to the mess of sin from which God saved us from, but pursuing the holiness and righteousness of God in our lives so that the nations, that company of peoples that Isaac spoke about in chapter 28, verse 3, would know our God reigns and would worship him forever through faith in Jesus you pray with me heavenly father what amazing truths from your word and lord we need you to help us live these out god help us to beware of sin and the mess that it creates in our lives and maybe right now some of us need to confess sin before you confess ways that we've let our fleshly desires crowd out your will and your way in our lives. Maybe ways that we have been pursuing godly goals through ungodly methods. Maybe ways we've been trying to appease, make up, appease your wrath, make up for the wrong that we've done instead of just humbly coming before you and saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Father, maybe we need to repent of, of, of not rejoicing not being thankful and celebrating, being happy about the grace that you have shown us through Christ. Maybe we need to confess walking around with our, with our heads hung low and our tails tucked between our legs when, when we have been shown the grace of you, God. And nothing in this world is going to take that away. You're going to preserve that blessing all the way through eternity. God, help us to respond in obedience to your word today. As we lift our voices and celebrate joyfully who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.